Hello there, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Play a Bigger Game Masterclass. This is Fabienne Fredrickson, millionaire business mentor and founder of both ClientAttraction.com and AttractClients.com, where you can receive your free audio CD, How to Attract All the Clients You Need at No Charge. It's my treat. Again, that's AttractClients.com, and welcome to the Play a Bigger Game Masterclass. To reach that next bigger level of greatness and professional success, you must be willing to step outside of your existing comfort zone and make the changes that seem to threaten your safe way of being, knowing that you are always safe anyway. There is no other way to jump from your current small fishbowl into that bigger fishbowl or the ocean that awaits you. Through these classes and the conversations I share with my guests who are all playing their own bigger game, the Play a Bigger Game Masterclass is focused 100% on you finding the inspiration, courage, and personal best practices to do the same. Consider it a required curriculum for success. My guest expert today is Sally Anderson. Sally Anderson is the leading expert in sustainable transformation, emotionally, cognitively, physically, and spiritually. Sally is at the forefront of sustainable human and organizational transformation, a cutting-edge leadership coach leadership advanced facilitator, inspirational keynote speaker, seminar leader, master coach trainer, and author. Sally has inspired thousands and thousands of people from feeling disempowered, whether it's in their personal or professional life, to experiencing outstanding, sustainable results. She is passionate about the advancement of human performance and is pioneering new ways of being in human consciousness through providing her revolutionary education, and she speaks, and she does leadership coaching, and she creates leadership development programs for corporate and public retreats, and she has a church certification. And Sally is a living embodiment of the concept that it is a profound privilege to contribute to other human beings and to offer herself fully and completely in the service of others to achieve their greatness and then sustain it. And I am so happy and so proud to have you here with us, Sally. I really appreciate the opportunity, Fabian. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you here. So you, um, you guys, as you're listening to this, I want you to know that I met Sally just by recommendation of someone I knew, and I went to a one-day event, and I... I remember saying to Sally, with a tear rolling down my face, oh my gosh, you know, I've never heard anything like this before, and I spent several days with her in a program that she did, which was transformational and which was sustainable. So I'm so happy that you're here, and you are a fountain of wisdom, and I I have, I I just want to get into the psyche, get into the brain of Sally Anderson. And so before we get started, I have a lot of questions for you. But where I want to get started is I always really enjoy seeing how someone got to do what they're doing today. And so you, I'd love for you to give us the, the cliff notes, you know, a minute or two as to how you got to do sustainable transformation for people. Please share it with us. 
great question. <laughs> my background <laughs> my background is in belief, behavioral, and organizational change at a cor- uh, at a very large level within corporates. So I left the corporate world about 12 years ago, and millions of dollars would be spent on uh, global change programs that I would be charged with implementing, but they wouldn't get a return on their investment three to five years after I walked out the door. So I actually knew at the start of a program that there was a, a lack of emphasis on the sustainability piece. Uh, then given the uh, audits that I used to run within corporate, the amount of money that was being expended in uh, change programs, in hiring consultants, and hiring trainers, and sending people into workshops and retreats, and business coaches, and but very little uh, return on investment back to the bottom line to the business, and that it basically became a toleration within the business. So it became an indictment on my value system. I didn't want to be associated with something when I knew at the start um, the consultancy company that I worked for I respected, um, but they were more interested in getting paid than they were about the true sustainability aspect. So that's kind of like where the inquiry first started. Then I'd been a course junkie for 30 years, name a book, a CD, a course. I've listened to it, read it, and been to it. (laughs) I pretty much did back-to-back for 30 years. I had it that there was a lot to fix about myself off the back of my experience in the past. And always looked outside of myself for the answers. And again, the missing for me was the ability to sustain the change. And I meet so many people uh, that have invested a lot of money into their own personal transformation, but for whatever reason, they've either not transformed to the degree that they'd like or they've not known how to sustain it. So the whole fascination around uh, this elusive thing called sustainability started there, that if you're going to invest money into change, let's make sure it's sustainable. Yeah, I agree with you. And we've all met the course junkies. And I mean, I would, I would say I'm a course junkie too. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have, uh, you know, do you, do I implement everything from every course? Uh, no, I, I don't. Perhaps there are people who do. Um, but you and I both know that it's in the in- implementation. It's not in the sitting there of the room or buying the CDs and listening and, and even listening to them that you get the the results and play a bigger game. Um, but it's in in implementing yeah I'm the first one to say you know everybody's education is redundant unless you apply it but where I come in is beyond the default so I specialize in what I term the default identity we're in yeah so so can you explain that because I've I've never heard about uh, default identity until I met you and spent some time with you and it was one of the most profound concepts I've ever heard. One, because it was the very first time I've heard of it, and I haven't heard of it since you. Would you explain this to our to our folks here on the line today? So moment by moment by moment, you're in one of two states. You're either in an empowered state one minute or a disempowered state the next. And as human beings, we have a tendency of uh, defaulting into the disempowered state uh, depending on what's happening externally. Our happiness, more often than not, is reliant on circumstances shifting. Uh, I believe happiness is a choice. Uh, So off the back of my own experience, I lived out a very dysfunctional behavior for more than two decades. And so it was part of my life apprenticeship to know the extremity of living at that uh, end of the spectrum to now be able to teach people uh, through my own experience and through those that I've had the privilege to coach uh, the whole discovery around well, what would it be like if you could sustain being in your power all the time, regardless of circumstance? So I believe that as a human being, we have what I term a default identity. Uh, in the study of ontology, the study of what it is to be human, 
they distinguished that there were three incidences in your childhood between the ages 3 to 5, 5 to 12, 12 to 21. And in those incidences of a negative nature, you decided to shut down and you learnt to uh, mould your behaviour uh, into a particular identity because life at that point was not safe. Now regardless of how great people's childhoods, that's irrele uh, irrelevant um, because you do not come through childhood unscathed. But I often have CEOs say to me, Sally, why when I've come to see you about my business are you talking to me about my childhood? I said I have no interest in dragging up anybody's past but I do have interest in going in, taking a snapshot, coming back out and having you see how you have this whole identity that has been for most people unconscious. Once you bring it into that person's awareness they can then see the ticker tape parade across their entire life of where um, they have sabotaged their life. Human beings' fundamental base belief is that they don't think they're good enough the fact that we allow that in our schooling system is a crime, but I won't even get onto that tangent today. And that's a whole um, other call. That's <laughs> a whole other call. <laughs> um, so just, uh, I'm passionate about people being aware, so the education that I've developed is uh, termed awareness-based training. There's power and mastery to go from being unconsciously incompetent, like the 15-year-old getting into the car, it's all a bit clunky, versus getting into your car now, you don't even think about it, where you become unconsciously competent. I'm interested in partnering people, specifically at a leadership level, to become unconsciously competent around their own identity. I talk about unrecognizable transformation. Most people tolerate not even getting transformation. So I talk about unrecognizable transformation, and I had somebody in my audience recently say to me, Sally, if it's that unrecognizable, how do you recognize it? And I go, in your current level of awareness, I'll agree with you. But when you die to this level, and it is a, it's an absolute death to that particular yeah. identity, you become unrecognizable to yourself, and that's what I've personally experienced in my own life, and that's part of what I teach. Yeah, you know, I did a program with you, which was which was really transformational. And you know, um, there there one of the things I'm not going to really reveal anything about your program, but one of the uh, because I think it's a very sacred um, space, and it uh, shall remain so. Um, but one of the things that you said in the beginning was there is going to be a whole lot of sustainable transformation happening over the next few days, and there will be one person who will be the most unrecognizable by the end of the, what was it, three or four days? Yep. And in the end, I, I, I mean, I witnessed it right in front of my eyes, this one person who I connected with on the very first day who was... Um, shall we say, in, in a, well, in, in, in his terms, in a very bad place. Three days later, skipping out of there, and we've connected since, and he is unrecognizable. And it, I mean, I, I, you know, I could have I, tears in my eyes just thinking about it. This is like real stuff. This is, this is really, it's, it's, it's truly amazing talking about just turning somebody completely around. Well, the ability to be able to circumvent 10, 20, 30 years of preconditioning. So mm -hmm. I, you know, most people that are attracted to my education are between the ages of 30 and 60. They've had decades of entrenchment in a particular way of thinking. Uh, to be able to make inroads into that, to really truly have a paradigm shift experientially. So I'm interested in shifting people experientially, not just at a head level such that they get present to the cost. We live in such a disassociated society. Seven billion people on the planet, the majority had by fear. You know, we were born connected. We were born fearless. We were born intuitive. Those are our birthrights. 
the fact that we uh, have moments of intuitive insight, the fact that we predominantly hang out in fear as a generalization for most human beings, and the fact that we live in a disconnected state. Part of my interest is to bring people back to reclaim their birthright. To live a fearless existence is your birthright. Um, love is all there is. It is a fine line between love and fear. Uh, to live in a connected state, connected to uh, the co-creative realm, which is very much what I specialize in, in the leadership side of things, and the ability to live an intuitive life. Um, part of what I educate people in is the static that they listen to on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, from the minute they get up in the morning to the minute that they go to bed, there's only four key things that disempower a human being. One is fear. Two is the inner critic, the internal dialogue that you know treats you ill. Uh, three is these issues, problems, challenges that people love to feed. And four is confusion. How convenient you don't know. You don't have to be responsible in that moment. To me, I call that the human static. And that if you were driving in the car and you were listening to the radio, you wouldn't stay on the static channel. You'd quickly try and tune into the music. But most people actually don't know what their music is. And so part of the role that I play is to actually bring people back to their innate self. Uh, but for that to occur, they have to die to looking good. You know, most people are had by looking good. Uh, they can't divulge what's really going on behind the scenes. And it's a mask, they're in like right? Yeah, yeah, it's a persona. They they lack the freedom to actually be their unique selves. Yeah. Um one of the you know, I, I call it I can no longer afford to play small. Uh, I've got to go beyond my, my current limits. There's this, this defining moment in one's process when you say, I, 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 can't, I can't do this anymore. And, and you have a particular way of saying this, um, which I'm not going to say because I can't say it, but <laughs> <laughs> you and I both know what it means. But, but I can't live like this anymore. I have got to go beyond my limits. So you've lived this in your life, and, and people can read about your experience in your book. Would you remind um, them, uh, tell them the name of your book and where they can find it? Uh, the book is called Freefall, Living Life Beyond the Edge, and if they just type that into Google, uh, it'll come up under Amazon and pretty much any other online book link uh, online. Great, great. And there is, so you've, you've come to this place uh, and a, a really defining moment in your own life when you said, I just can't do this anymore. I, 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 I can't live this way. What, and then there, there are people who are listening to this right now who are in a place, whether it's in their relationships, whether it's with their finances, with their business, with their health and fitness level. Where do you start with them if, if, if they're at that place right now, what is the first thing that you would have them do to to flip the switch? Hmm. So I do a lot of reverse psychology, uh, and because I understand this whole default identity and how it works, having lived out of it to the extreme for over two decades. So I normally facilitate with people that you can't transform something until you own that it's operating. And even when people know that they're so disassociated and they know the cost of that behavior, still people choose to not associate. So some of the things that I do with people is to say two of the main areas people want to shift is uh, their financial uh, situation and or say people who have ongoingly had issues around their weight. Um, so there's 
always four quadrants that are synonymous with what people want to change. They want to change their relationships, they want to change their finances, they want to change their relationships, their well-being, predominantly around weight. And then it's all about the calling and the job, the vocation, the passion, the, the, the whole inquiry in that area. It normally falls into those four quadrants. Mm-hmm. The two main areas um, are relationship and finance. They always have to do with self-worth. Um, so if I'm talking to somebody, uh, I'll say to an audience, how many of you have been trying to transform your finances? Two, five, ten years? Hands go up. Mm-hmm. How many of you have been trying to lose weight? Two, five, ten years? All hands go up. Okay, great. So do you normally frame that in that you hate it, you don't like it, you feel frustrated by it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so the first breakthrough is to be able to get a sense of humor and actually get that you love it. Oh, I love being overweight. I love my finances being stuffed because wherever the results are being produced is a function of your commitment. So if those of where, that is where the results have been produced for the last two, five, or ten years, that is actually what you're more committed to. But until you actually own it, you can't transform it in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I normally have humorous conversations where we get to do a lot of self-deprecation mm-hmm. because we. <laughs> how many books do we need to read that say, be careful what you think, your thoughts create your reality? Well, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yet we are, are not disciplined in where our thoughts are focused on a day-to-day basis. So the minute that you're able to stop being so serious, significant, and dramatic, which is always a function of the default, uh, because if to infiltrate the serious significance and drama that is occurring, that person would have to change in their identity. To suddenly be the person who's in the great body, to suddenly be the person who is financially sound, that is a different identity to operate out of. So most people are unaware of wherever you are at, you know, for your listeners today, wherever you are at in your life is exactly where you want it to be. Because Which is ouch, right? Ouch. Yeah. 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 Most people are blaming it on 20,000 different things as to why it is the way that it is. Wherever that is where it's meant to be at, for where I believe that we are all here learning. Whether we learn or not, we get the tap on the shoulder, we ignore it. We get the four by two at the back of the head, we ignore it. Uh, then we get the Mack truck. And, um, you know, in answer to your original question, you know, I've had a number of Mack trucks along the way, and one was when my father died. He was a visionary. He was somebody who was very much playing a big game, and I swore on his deathbed that I'd get out there and I'd, you know, take on the world as you do. And it took me another two years because I was so fearful um, of actually, you know, playing a game to that magnitude. Um, and I'm glad to say, 12 years in, that I learnt the whole realm of what I term the fourth, fifth dimension versus uh, one to three dimension. You cannot suffer unless you're living in the realm of meaning. So when people say, you know, oh, Sally, you're playing such a big game, I go, when you no longer live in the realm of meaning, nothing's big anymore. It's just a conversation, but it's a conversation I'm willing to have. And considering the magnitude of the game that I'm playing when I'm wanting to make inroads into counselling and psychotherapy and transform the way, um, you know, schooling systems operate and you know, the whole raft of things that I've got in my 20-year vision, to me it's just a conversation. So that enables me to, A, give myself permission to have the conversation because I don't view anything as big. Language creates the reality of your world. If you want the reality of your world to change, change your language. So I'm, I specialize in the area of linguistics. And so as a coach intuitive, all I do is listen to people's language and it kind of like tells me where I need to go. So being able to partner people to play big games, to me, the magnitude of the game that you can play is limitless if you are accessing the co-creative self. 
Yeah, and and being really um, and re- being responsible for your words, and yes. and therefore your results. Mm-hmm. That issue of personal responsibility, I think, is a huge issue around playing bigger. Um, as you mentioned just a moment or two ago, a lot of people will will, will get into a a blame state. Uh, I'm a victim state, and point outward for the fact that they do not have the relationship or the finances or the well-being or the calling that they that they want that they desire and yet it's really all happening on the inside isn't it mm-hmm. well to me there's only two courts in life one where people are thinking about talking about and wanting things to change versus the court called commitment and the reality of those things changing but where I come in is that whole thing around the default, that if you don't know about your default, if you don't know the nuances of why you've cultivated it, because fundamentally it's all about safety, uh, you know, regardless of how dysfunctional it is. And most people get off the court on life when they find things of a confronting nature or it's resistance or it is uncomfortable. Whereas as a change agent, I believe it is our responsibility to take personal responsibility, to, to go looking for everything that confronts you, go looking to everything that makes you resistant, go looking to live in uncomfortable shoes as a way of being, and that then becomes the new comfortable. When you okay, live so on I, really, I really want to ask you to, to, to talk a little bit deeper about that, because somebody who's hearing this for the first time, as I did the first time, I thought, well, this is very interesting, because you said, I invite the confrontation, I invite invite the the um uh the discomfort i mean and i say that too but when when i heard you say it, it was more than a slight discomfort i invite that stuff because explain that a little bit deeper and and here's why i'd like for you to do that is because i understand that if you want things to change you've got to change but few people are willing to change mm. to create a change so say yeah. more about that yep so because of the level of disassociation, people are not aware of what they're getting out of staying in that default identity, staying in that dysfunctional state. So in the context of confrontation, resistance, and being uncomfortable, that to me are the three access points to true transformation. And I'm talking true transformation, where there's the death of the old self. And I liken it to Wimbledon players. You know, when they get on the court at Wimbledon, millions of people are watching them play the game. There are many times when they're confronted, many times where they're resistant, many times where they feel uncomfortable because the ball does not go their way in front of millions of people. But they sure as hell don't get off the court because they've trained themselves to that elite level. Um, so I have a process. Uh, it's a four-pronged process. Uh, it is. I love bringing simplicity to complexity. We complicate the hell as human beings out of transformation. It is a very simplistic process. Uh, and we keep it complicated so that it, it lives in the realm of hard, so that people don't think that they can access it. Yes, it. Yet I believe it is very simplistic, especially after the life trajectory of 30 years of <laughs> doing the complete opposite. So the four-pronged process uh, is called recognition, evaluation, sensation, reaction. And I'll give an example. So when somebody is feeling confronted, so I often have people say to me, Sally, you know, you're denying me access to my feelings. I go, no, I'm just wanting you to understand your default-based feelings because although they may be serving you in the game called sabotage, they're certainly not serving you from the game called fording your game and having the life that you love. Hmm. So when you are in reaction, 
i.e. a disempowered state. So regardless of what that state is, hard, struggle, overwhelm, pressure, anxiety, whatever the terminology is, the access point is the reaction. So in that, we'll use confrontation as an example. So when you are in reaction, confrontation is present. Uh, and normally people are then at consequence to the confrontation. So part of stage one of the training uh, when you're in reaction is the ability to be able to observe the reaction. So the ability to kind of like talk back to yourself and go, okay, confrontation's present right now. What's really going on? No drama. You're not in it. You're just able to observe it. But the access point has been the thing that's hooked you. You then move over to recognition, and you only ask one question. What's really going on? Again, no drama. And then move into evaluation. 100% of the time, when you are in a disempowered state, which is my issue with most education curriculums. There are 20,000 education curriculums out there that teach you different methodology on how to deal with fear, how to deal with the inner critic, how to deal with... To me, it's all just one approach applies to all because it's all a default. It all makes you feel disempowered. Mm. So in the moment that you're disempowered, one process applies to all. 100% of the time, you are disconnected feeding a projection. You're either out in the future creating a world that's not even here yet, or you're dragging in something from the past. In the phase of evaluation, what what is really going on? Okay, I'm confronted in this moment. Nine times out of ten, it's always something from the past that we're bringing into the present and projecting out into the future. We land that. Oh, there I go again, feeding something from the past. Got it. Then we move into sensation. Whenever I work with people, I always distinguish what are you motivated by. If you don't know what you're motivated by in life, why do you breathe? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why do you do what you do? You can't sustain, which is the key aspect that I focus on, you can't sustain your state. So most human beings are motivated by love, passion, and freedom. So rather than feeding a past-based projection that doesn't have any validity but the validity to which you feed it, reconnecting in the, in the area of sensation to what you're motivated by then enables you to change the reaction. Now the speed with which you move is the mastery piece. The key to self-mastery is not about not getting triggered. It's the length of time that you spend in the trigger. An, yes. hour, an hour, a day, a week, a month. Some people go to their graves being triggered. Now, the speed with which you move in the process, and I'm not expecting everybody to be happy, clappy people, but I am expecting them to take responsibility for what's actually going on. If you can't shift your state back into alignment with what motivates you, then you are getting more out of the default behavior. And it is proven that in the study of ontology, there are stock standard human payoffs that people get when they are in a disempowered state. They get to be right about that situation. They get to be justified about their point of view. They get to make others wrong. They get to be a victim, feeling powerless to change the situation. They don't have to be responsible there. And they get to dominate, manipulate, and control. Uh, they are stock standard human payoffs. Um, so through and no one time. wants to hear that, and no one wants to hear that this is what's driving them. But in the end, if I'm honest about the some of the things where I get stuck, it's because I want to be right, I want to be controlling, I want to, be, you know, <laughs> all those things. And I think what you're saying is that, like, at least get clear that you're doing that and own that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember on stage um, in my heyday of being a course junkie, and I was, I was. I had been a suicidal person for quite a number of years and cut a very long story short, I was on stage and the uh, leader uh, basically said that I was a victim and of the many things that I thought that I was, victim wasn't one of them because I thought victim meant weakness. But when he made the distinction that victim equals feeling powerless to change a situation, it was like I could see a ticker tape parade across my entire life. Mm. 
And I never understood the distinction choice. I had a choice on I have a choice on how I feel. I have a choice on what I do. I have a choice on how I react. I have a choice. I have a choice. I for 30 years never realized I had a choice. I thought life was doing it to me. When I realized in that moment and I connected the dots on the cost because I was so I had to keep finding evidence in my life to validate my negative listening of myself. Years and years of self-hatred, years and years of self-loathing, that created a certain identity about myself. And I had to keep creating crisis to survive it, crisis to survive it, because my whole identity about myself was that I was a survivor. So that was my real the identity is true. Yeah. So a lot of people are unconsciously creating uh, enough evidence to sink a ship that they can never be in a relationship or that they can never transform their finances. And that would be true considering where the <laughs> where their thinking, stinking thinking, um, mm-hmm. that is creating their reality. They're creating years and years and years of evidence, and that is their life trajectory. So the ability to be able to interrupt those decades of preconditioning, the easiest people to shift are those that are um, the most dysfunctional. So the, those that are really, really skeptical, those that are really, really cynical, uh, more often than not are the ones that are in the most pain. So when I've worked at board level uh, with uh, CEOs where they've wanted to fire a number of their executives, uh, you know, basically you come in and sort them out or I'm firing them, one or the other. Okay, good. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, that particular executive transforms more than anybody. It really intrigues the CEO. And I go, well, you tell me why. You tell me why that person transforms the most. I said, because they were the ones in the most pain. You know, when, when your wife's going to leave you, when you're not talking to the kids, when the bank balance isn't where you want it to be, and, you know, a series of cascading events, it doesn't take much to join the dots and get people present to the cost. Or get them and, to be straight and say that they're more yeah. committed to sabotaging their life. Yeah. And the costs are just to stay in that in that situation, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, the battered wife syndrome, you know, there's many different scenarios where why on earth an outsider can look in on why on earth would people do that but you know we've got to get how disassociated people are and how much they love dysfunctionality wherever the results are being produced as a function of your commitment that is a fact and that was another insight for myself you know I didn't like the results that I was producing but when I had a look at where I was thinking my particular programming was so targeted to creating a lot of carnage which then qualified my listening of myself and then that produced my life view so the ability to be able to transform that, the key access point is getting present to what it, not just rattling off the cost, but getting present to the cost. Because if you were present to them, you'd move in a friggin' heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I, I, I see that now. And, and I think one of the, I, I've gotten so many takeaways from, from uh, studying with you. I, I think one of the, the things that really I, I was clear about Afterwards is and then and then I can choose to do it or not to do it, right? But at least is the question that you 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 often ask is what are you more committed to, right? If you're really committed to blank blank blank, then do that, be consistent with that, as opposed to being in the oh it doesn't work and all that stuff. Well, confusion. I train my clients to never hang out and I don't know. A sign of a good coach, in my opinion, is that you never answer a question. You facilitate a conversation with the individual to answer their own question. And they always do, 100% of the time. So if we were to truly connect into our intuitive self, um, you know, for those listening today, you know, that have children, you know, uh, kids are innately 
are connected, they are innately intuitive, they are innately fearless, and then they learn that uh, those three areas are not safe and so they shut down and they form a new identity. From my perspective, the ability to be able to live intuitively 24-7, the ability to be able to live in a connected state, and the ability to be able to live a fearless existence uh, is like walking on water. Uh, here's what I recommend, guys, is that you don't listen to this podcast just once. I think you need to you know, listen to it three or four times because this is, this is more content in just this half hour that m- most people give in an entire day. So really, listen to this again. Take notes. Let it sink in. And I know some of the things that we're talking about that Sally is saying. I mean, it's a little, wow, I've never heard it said like that before. Ouch. But there's a reason that she creates sustainable transformation is because, it, it, you know, if you want something to be sustainable, it, I mean, you have to go dig deeper and take even more responsibility uh, and really examine your ways of being just as I have um, and will continue to do. I'm a true believer um, also in paying it forward that uh, legacy is the most profound conversation you can facilitate with a human being on the planet. What are you doing here? What is your DNA calling you to be in the world? We all have a purpose. And uh, more often than not, you know, it's whether we listen to that calling. And the, the the more people that I can wake up and have them reclaim their power and know how to do that in a sustainable way, the more that they can pay it forward for others. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question that you're not expecting from me um, necessarily on this call. But what is what would happen if a greater percentage of the people on this planet were to understand their disempowered state, their default state, and if they were to go through this process, what is your big vision for what is possible for this planet and this consciousness if more and more and more people uh, go through this process of yours? Hmm. So I have a 20-year vision, which is uh, bigger than being here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've often had people say to me, Sally, how on earth are you going to fulfill on that? I go, I'm just a conduit. So all I need to do is continue to speak it, and then out of me being consistent with them speaking it, the co-creative realm in the right time and place will orchestrate uh, the eventuation of that. If I believe that whatever you receive is meant, and sometimes it can be pretty outrageous some of the things that you receive which is why we in our human form buck and scream against what we're being called to do Uh, so of the things that I uh, at the moment we continue to teach one to three dimensional thinking in our schooling systems globally Uh, we are impacting future generations that haven't even been born yet so my concern and or and or trust that everything is in perfection just the way it is and just the way it isn't uh, but I do believe that, uh, given that I have died once in this life and come back of my own accord and learned how to put the pieces back together to be able to fast-track people that they don't have to go and do what I did over a 30-year period, they can just kind of like get the tools and the distinctions and be able to, if it's applied, be able to get the traction to be able to truly show up in the world and fulfill on what it is that they're here to do. So one of my biggest gains is the ability to establish co-creative schools, co-creative universities. Um, you know, just something as simplistic as mastery of the inner critic to be human is to have an inner critic. Nobody talks about it, and yet it annihilates human potential. The fact that we don't have mastery of the inner critic in the schooling system, um, that it's learnt at a young age. Uh, I have, off the back of my own experience, come from an extreme, extreme level of uh, inner dialogue to now having silenced it, 
when you silence your inner critic, you then only ever experience your intuitive voice, uh, which has you then hook into the co-creative realm uh, in that realm of being unconsciously competent around it. So I see a future where we bring together 50 of the top leaders around the world. Uh, we have the leaders on the planet now that have the ability to make the difference. And I have, a, outside of the whole co-creative school concept, Steiner didn't go and change mainstream. They went out and established their own curriculum and then now have impact on mainstream. It is a timing uh, dynamic. Uh, I'm standing for a co-creative summit in Queenstown, New Zealand, which I do believe is... Uh, a future place for leadership on the planet. There is something about the spiritual nature of New Zealand um, that we bring together, because nobody's ever done it, brought to bring wow. together 50 of the top leaders on the planet uh, in the context of transformation. Um, there's a few of them that might get on stage together, but again, all of that kind of like a paid arrangement. What would it be like if you could get Anthony Robbins, Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Dr. John Martini, you know, just a cross-section uh, in one place, and that a, a percentage of that summit is in silence. The collective channeling of that group of people for the for the possibility of uh, operating more as a collective. Uh, I'm a true believer in co-opetition versus competition. The ability to be able to cooperate with like-minded people to basically uh, be taught what is the next thing that is required, and who are we as change agents to. Um, you know, facilitate that change. Now, a uh, Kiwi girl in New Zealand at 4 o'clock in the morning channels that in five minutes. I'm going, I mean, I'm either weird and off the planet or <laughs> something going on. Um, but I was brave enough to articulate my vision in my book uh, and along with that wanting to transform the entire way counselling and psychotherapy is done off the back of uh, having partnered many people off depression drugs in a sustainable way. There is another way that is non-drug related. Um, so there's many aspects to the to the uh, possibility of the death of the default. Uh, I believe that uh, my life apprenticeship, that you're never given anything that you can't handle. And so part of um, my apprenticeship or my contract in this lifetime is to be able to fast track, uh, especially people in the leadership realm, um, because the fish stinks from the head down, the ability to change at that level will be able to infiltrate uh, more people. And so, yeah, I have a sense of urgency um, to reach the people. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's playing a bigger game. I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Sally. I could keep talking to you all day. <laughs> um, and, and you've given us so much information here today, so much valuable stuff. Like I said, guys, listen to this again and again. Um, there's so many nuggets here. You, you, really, you could you could spend a month just dissecting this and hearing more. But if you want to um, hear more, because there are some people who, who will say, wow, 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 who is this Sally Anderson and how can I get more of her? Um, tell, them, tell them where to reach you. What's the best way to get connected with you? Tell them again about your book, whatever it is that you, whatever contact information you want to give them. Sure. So as far as um, uh, offering value on the call today. Uh, I write a blog on a weekly basis, both on the leadership side of things and on a personal development side of things. So from a personal development aspect, uh, .com. Uh There's hundreds of articles on that site for free, so feel free to subscribe if it's of interest. Um, and I have two websites. Uh, the leadership development website is sally-anderson.com, and if you're interested in reading the leadership blog, which also is free, uh, that's accessible via that website. And anything to do with the personal development side of free-fall experience, 
um, so Freefall International, we're launching right across America. Uh, so uh, freefallexperience.com and most of the information is on that site. Great, great. Thank you, Sally, for, for being um, with me today and for sharing so much valuable content. It was really such a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I also wish to acknowledge you. Uh, you very much inspire me, given the game that you're playing, and to be um, asked to be on your show uh, is a profound privilege. Um, so the God in me acknowledges the God in you. Thank you. I accept it and return it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody, for being here today, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. If you're new to the Play a Bigger Game Masterclass, I'd like to make sure you know about the free audio CD available to you called How to Attract All the Clients You Need. It's full of immediately actionable, incredibly useful information to get you more clients in the next 90 days. There is no catch, no gimmick, no sales pitch. It's simply my way of saying thank you for tuning into this show. And yes, I am offering it to you at no charge. I even pay for the shipping anywhere in the world. All you do to get your free CD is go to attractclients.com and request it today. And if you liked today's episode of the Play a Bigger Game Masterclass, you can download or listen to other masterclasses from this show on iTunes or by going to iloveplayingabiggergame.com. If you have friends, colleagues, or clients who would benefit from playing a bigger game, pay it forward and share the love by letting them know about iloveplayingabiggergame.com. Again, thanks so much for joining us today. This is Fabienne Fredrickson sending you a big virtual hug. Until next time, live life like you mean it. Bye, everybody.